The places around these fires is where history and story come to meet. And when they meet, they talk of many things once considered forgotten, and in their speaking they take them back. The light from this fire gives vice to the lost and illuminates things always meant to shine. Among the people gathered around the fire are no dispassionate historians with their dry words, but instead hungry seekers of knowledge in search of stories about historical passions and the people and things that they inspired. That is why you are here for the Anansi Chronicles. Over 10 million Africans were kidnapped and brought to the world that was called new. Of these 10 million, 40% ended up in a single place, Brazil. An excerpt from a book referenced on the Brown University website explains the tragedy and the dependency of the Brazilian on enslaved African labor. As the nurse, the slave girl suckled every Brazilian generation. As the personal assistant, she lulled them all to sleep. As a man, the slave tiled for every generation. As a woman, she surrendered herself to all of them. There was not a household where there was not one or more young slave boys, one or more young servants, victims dedicated to the whims of the young master. They were his horse, his whipping boy, his friends, companions, servants. End quote. But of course, wherever there is subjugation, there is also resistance. The history of Brazil is filled with accounts of uprisings as the enslaved sought to reclaim their freedom. Runaways established communities called Quilombos, where their African traditions mix with their new realities. It is out of these conditions that capoeira was born. Capoeira is a fighting style that employs moving the body in such a manner that it resembles a kind of dance. Like so many parts of black history before and around the time of the great theft of African people and resources, the exact origins of this martial art are unknown. Some believe it came from Africa and was brought over by the enslaved. Proponents of this theory point to the Congo and the fighting art called Kipora. In this fighting style, warriors emulate snakes, which requires dance-like movements, such as what you would see in capoeira. Another similar kind of martial art is engolo, which is a ritual fighting style practiced in southern Angola among the Cunin River. Engolo similarly employs the kind of rhythmic movements that have become associated with capoeira. Others believe that capoeira originated in the urban slave markets of Brazil, that practitioners use the music, singing, and dance to disguise their true purpose, dedicating Sundays, their only day of rest from the fields, to perfecting their craft. Whatever its origins, capoeira became an important part of the culture of the Brazilian enslaved peoples. Today, that is where history ends. And our story begins. To Ja'a, the Loud Market was the most beautiful place she had seen in a long while. Her eyes barely registered the almost skeletal shining black bodies that attached to hollow eyed empty faces. 
She did not see the mean sharp pieces of iron or the hungry faces of the well-dressed strangers who walked slowly up and down the broken road with eyes that examined, judged and measured, assigning value to human and iron alike. Her nose did not even wince against the smell of piss, shit and fear that hung heavy as a tarp in the air. Ja'a's eyes were still growing accustomed to the bright light and the open space. Her melanite skin, strangely pale from months of no sun, and her own teenage body, once as full of curves as the mountains in the distance, was now taunt and meager. But she could breathe, and the smell of death that she could detect was comfortably distant and muted, kept at bay by the cool, fresh air. She had expected to die in the hull of that ship. She had wanted to die, but still she had fought, mostly out of instinct, her feet keeping the clawing hands of the crew at bay, but refusing to allow her to leap overboard, her shackled hands that would not slit her wrist even when she thought about following the other woman who managed to find a kind of freedom in the middle of their passage. Those hands would, however, shield her in the dark of the ship when they tried to weaken her with blows from the heavy metal rod. Now she was here on solid land again, and the fighting instinct inside her receding slightly, and before her stretched possibility. Not as many as she had left behind with her laughing moon-faced mother, or the warm seriousness of her dancing father. But still, she was no longer in the awful stinking belly of the ship, with nothing to do but wait and try to die and fail. She let the men gently guide her into the building that had no walls, just four posts and a large tin roof. She did not resist when they told her to strip or when they scrubbed her body with the rough brush and washed the last of the ship's filth from her goose-bumped skin. The clothes they gave her to wear were coarse but clean, and then finally they led her to another building. Inside was dark, but the barred windows let in more than enough light, so she sat on the ground, as close to the dusty streams of sunlight as she could manage, and she waited. The rice and the beans they fed her was better than the rice and the beans she had been fed on the ship, and the water here was at least colder and cleaner. There were other women and girls in the room with her, and they shared her look of exhausted weariness. Like her, she could see that their own defenses had been worn thin by the long journey. The bellies that some of them showed told her they had not been lucky enough to fight off the monsters who came at night. Separated by iron bars were the men. She had not seen black men the entire time she had been on the ship, and so for a while, she just stared at them. That night... She looked out the barred windows at the crescent moon and the stars blinking impartially, just as they had for as long as she could remember. Ja'a slept with her back against the wall, but with the confidence that she would hear the door unlock before anyone came. But unlike every night on that ship, no one came for the women or the men. Although she was almost skeletal, and they had shaved her head bald before stealing her away from her home. Ja'a was young and strong and beautiful, 
So the next day, when she was led up to the block, she was sold quickly and for as much money as the hungry-eyed broker could have hoped. They put her in the back of a wagon with a few others, and she started another journey. This time, she could look out the wagon at the wild and strange land in which she had found herself. Most of the buildings they passed were crude, barely held together with sticks and rope. The black and white faces that stared back at those in the wagon were guarded and eyes quickly averted to look anywhere else as they passed. It was almost nighttime when they reached the huge house with the bone white walls. Ja'a and the others were escorted from the wagon and she stared up at the biggest building she had ever seen. As she moved closer, she noticed that the white walls had been stained by the steady wind that blew the dirt from the seemingly endless fields stretched out before her. The air smelled different here too. The sweet sickly odor of burning molasses and freshly cut cane. The old black woman who met them had kind eyes but spoke careful words. She showed them where to sleep and told them they would meet others tomorrow who would show them how to work. She said they were men with guns, but if they made trouble, that they were worse things than death in this place. Then she gave them food, meat, and roots that reminded Ja'a of the place she was leaving further behind every day. That week was a slow and sometimes painful procession of learning and correction. The old woman, whose name was Elise, showed her how to wash the dishes and what to bring when the frail, blonde-eared old woman, who never left her bed, rang the bell. But she also saw that if the belly of that ship had been L, this place was only slightly better. She noticed the mounds of scars on the backs of those who worked in the field and hidden under the cleaner garments of many who worked in the house next to her. She saw the missing limbs and the empty expressions that they wore on their faces. Ja'a was still alive, and her mother had told her that meant there was still possibility. But with her strength renewed, she started to rebuild the same defenses that had helped her survive the long journey across the water. Then, on the seventh day, they rested. The girls Uja'a shared a room with told her the night before that she did not need to get up early, and they all slept a little later. That was strange enough, but the entire slave quarters were also transformed into something else. Men drank and sang loudly, although it was still early. Women played with children that they had only been able to give a tired embrace to the day before. Ja'a walked among her new family stopping occasionally to talk with someone. She watched as the empty expressions that were worn every day in this place were lowered but not discarded, and the kidnapped people lived. She realized that was her future, to only allow the life that she contained to trickle out in small bursts. At the far end of the plot of land where they were allowed to live was a tiny circle of men and women. They were clapping softly and singing. Jaha approached the circle and saw that the group surrounded two young men. These two men seemed to be performing a strange dance, their bodies twisting and turning like sugarcane stalks in heavy wind, or like a young whistling thorn blowing in the summer breeze. One of their hands would strike out for the face of the other, and that person would writhe away usually on all fours to avoid the powerful and dangerous blow. More often than not, however, a foot would come out of nowhere, a kick that seemed unexpected but also oddly in tune with the low clapping and the song of the audience. Jaha watched and edged closer. 
Her eyes followed the strangely familiar movements. She could see in the boys' dance shadows of her brothers performing the ritual battle of the snake while the tribe watched and the drums beat their steady rhythm. When the music finally stopped, both boys were breathing heavy, covered in dust but mostly unarmed. Ja'a barely noticed when her feet carried her into the middle of the circle. The music and the clapping started again, slowly but eventually reaching the same familiar pitch. Some of the men raised their eyebrows and a few women turned their eyes to the side. Ja'a's face felt hot, but she had felt her brothers and her dancing father, felt them so strongly here that she just wanted to be closer. She looked around at the politely smiling but curiously expectant faces, and just as Jabari had taught her many years ago, she spread her long, still skinny legs wide, and she began to shift her body back and forth with the rhythm of the music. The boy who hesitantly entered the circle was about her age, but he was also bigger than her. He returned her smile uncertainly, and then allowed his body to also slip into the back and forth motion, catching the rhythm of the sounds that the other slaves made with their hands and mouths. His feet signaled the fence, so she politely twisted her body into an attack, reminding herself to soften the blow even as it connected with his face. The boy was surprised and lost his rhythm for a second, so she playfully punished him with a gentle kick to the stomach. This time, the smile was broad and the dance started. It was not the same thing that Jaha had been taught by her dancing father, but it was close enough. This dance had the swiftness of the snake and the courage of the rooster that she was used to, but it was also more careful, each powerful move disguised by an artful twist or a provocative thrust from the middle. Then, out of the corner of her eye, she saw the man and the woman who lived in the house. A younger woman, not yet bedridden, but with the same dead eyes of the woman who rang the bell. They were walking side by side, their eyes locked on the circle of their property. She would have lost her rhythm if she had not been doing that dance since she was old enough to understand what it was. And when she glanced over at her partner, he only widened his smile and draped more of the dance disguise over their movements. So she copied him, hiding her powers behind beautiful twists and turns. From the corner of her eye, she could see the master and mistress smiling, clapping out of tempo and singing out of key. She widened her grin and saw more possibilities open up before her as she twisted her waist and delivered another playful kick to her partner's side. She could feel herself growing stronger. Capoeira would continue to thrive among the enslaved population in Brazil, in both the Colombo communities of the runaways and even on the plantations where its power was often overlooked by those who would consider themselves the masters. When Brazil finally abolished slavery in 1888, it was the last country in the Western Hemisphere to do so. Just like many other places, the result was large groups of people who suddenly found themselves without homes or incomes and poverty was rampant. This, of course, led to increased criminal activity. In 1890, in an attempt to curb the inevitable consequences of their own sins, the government outlawed capoeira, and the punishment for those found still practicing the deadly art was to have their Achilles tendon cut. Still, 
the art form that is certainly rooted in the African heritage of its practitioners survived and today is a cultural symbol of Brazil with students around the world. It is also a symbol of the resistance of Africans who were enslaved but were also more than slaves, as well as the powerful nature of the human spirit. There is much to be said about the resilience and warrior nature of the stolen people, and next time we meet, I will tell you the story of an African in a strange world whose skill with a sword would bring him both esteem and grief while also earning him a place in history. Thank you for visiting our fire and listening to the Anansi Chronicles. There are many other stories I would like to tell and I would be honored if you would choose to come back. You can check the show notes for links to sources about the histories on which I base today's story. If you enjoyed your time here, then please help me spread the word by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or on YouTube and telling your friends about this project. You can also choose to support the show financially by using the link for Kofi in the show notes. If you just want to say hello, I would love to speak with you. Just send an email to anansipod at gmail.com or find me on Facebook where I am the Anansi Chronicles or on Twitter where I am at anansipod. The Anansi Chronicles is a Precious Metals production.